All right, guys, come on in. We're going to get started now. We're going to get started with our time of teaching. Come on in, come on in. Uh, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? All right, I like it. I like it, Jimmy. A lot of enthusiasm in that back corner from Jimmy. Um, well, welcome to Sunday Gathering. Um, so real quick, uh, this morning's a special morning for two reasons. Uh, one is we are starting a new sermon series. Uh, we went through the book of Romans for a little over a year. Uh, last week we ended, I heard Sarah Ballard crush the end of the uh, series. That's what I heard. Some uh, great stories, testimonies, stuff going on. Um, and, uh, and so we are officially transitioning out of Romans because we're done. And we're starting a series called Salt and Light, which is a uh, thematic series. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at um, our calling as the church to um, engage the spheres we live in. So Jesus says, uh, you guys are salt and light. And he says, um, salt, the thing that makes salt valuable is that it changes the taste of something. It changes the thing that it's in. The thing about light is it, 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 it changes what you can see. And so that, that, that if we are experiencing Jesus in a tangible way, it should impact our spheres of life. And so we're going to look at a bunch of different topics uh, over the next 10 weeks. We're going to look at things like um, our own character and emotional health. Like if you're a mess, people are not going to want to follow Jesus just because you follow Jesus. Um, we're going to look at things like how we engage um, our vocation and our careers, our work. That's a sphere of influence God gives us. How do we use that for good or for bad? Do we show up at work just like anyone else in our job? Or do we show up as someone who is um, doing a really good job but reflecting Jesus in a way that's tangible? You're different than other supervisors. You're different than other employees. You're different than other leaders. Um, we're going to look at areas of, of justice and mercy. How do we help people in our communities that are struggling and suffering? Uh, people on the fringes of our society. Uh, and, there, and then we're going uh, to look at evangelism and talking about Jesus, how people come to know Jesus and, on a, and how to be a community that reflects. And so basically during the pandemic, it was very, very easy. By, by nature, our lives had to shrink down. Early 2020, we literally shrunk down to our, like, our house, and then it, it kind of spread. You know, your, your COVID bubble spread over time. They always had porous holes in them, but your bubble would kind of spread. You know, you're like, hey, is anyone, you know, and it was just like, man, we're comp- there's like 58 other people in this bubble we don't know about. Um, and so, you see, right, so it, it spreads and spreads and spreads. And, and then over time, you know, whatever. But, but, but the reality is, is that um, for a lot of us, those two years were some of the most self-focused times in our lives. That's why a lot of people moved to different places. They were just like, you know what, or quit their jobs. There's a huge thing right now. Millennials quitting their jobs. I'm just reconsidering. I don't like my job. Uh, I, unfortunately, also, I don't like my marriage. Happened a lot during the pandemic. Uh, I don't like where I live. I don't like the state I'm in. I don't like my family. You go on and on and on. But there's a lot of like reflection, and reflection's good, and contemplation's good, and assessing where you're at is good. But what can happen is if if that's all you do, you start to miss what's going on outside of you. And guys, there's a lot going on outside of us. I know at a macro level, we're aware of things like Ukraine right now and things like that. Um, but even in your neighborhood and at your job, and in this, there, there's all kinds of space where Jesus wants to do things. But we're so preoccupied with things that don't matter for so many of us. You matter, by the way. I'm just saying. Uh, like we're, we're either focused. I found it's for so many people, not just our church, the Big C Church. We're focused on us, like navel-gazing. Um, or we're just focused on stuff that's just not the things of first importance, as Paul calls them, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus himself. And so this series is called Salt and Light. We're going to investigate and look at this idea. How do we reflect Jesus in our culture? And we're going to look at it from a bunch of different angles, and I think they're all important and different. Um, t- today, uh, we have the pleasure of having uh, Sarah and Jacob Lewis with us. Uh, get up for them if you guys want. Come on, you want to honor them? Let's go. 
Jacob Lewis, if you look at him, uh, he's handsome, but you might be thinking, he's not just handsome, he looks familiar, uh, and it's because he's Josh Lewis, who had a, uh, he leads Anthem Denver. Josh Lewis is his brother, uh, and he, he came, was a resident with us for a couple years ago for about six to nine months. He was a worship leader with us, uh, and so they grew up, and, and Jacob, uh, Josh would always tell a story about how he joined a band and kind of like dove headlong into like sex, drugs, rock and roll, walked away completely from, from Jesus and really just found himself at a really low point in his life. And if you guys remember that story, he'd always talk about this brother he had who kept saying, hey, I love you and we're here whenever, like whenever you want to like walk with Jesus, anytime you want to come home, we're here. And, uh, and Jacob's that brother. Um, uh, also fascinating to me, Jacob's his younger brother, which blew my mind, uh, kind of big brothered him back into the house. And so, uh, so that's how we met him is through that connection to Josh. Uh, since then, though, we've gone out to Anthem Denver a few times to help them with their church plant. Uh, we also went to a, about maybe 10 people from the church went to Denver a few months ago for a conference. Uh, and they hosted like way too many people, I think like eight. <laughs> restore people deep at their house, and, uh, and so they become friends, but on top of that, um, they are um, moving to a space of wanting to, do, uh, to become vocational missionaries, and so they have a long story. Uh, Jacob's got a long story in videography, uh, has his own business. Uh, Sarah's a phenomenal Bible teacher. Uh, has thought through doing some stuff with that. Uh, podcast. They do a lot of different things, but they've said what we really want to do um, it's how people come to know Jesus, very specific people in a specific way. And so I thought with this Salt and Light series, it'd be amazing to have them out. And so what I want to do is call Sarah Lewis up right now. She's going to preach this morning. And she's going to take us to, to one angle on this idea of salt and light this morning. And it's going to be very participatory, as you'll see in a second. So can I pray for you real quick? Um, Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for your word that Sarah is so passionate about. Your word that reveals to us who you are, your, your heart, your character, but also who we are as people. Embodied souls made with, we, we have limitations and boundaries, and there's a sense that we are human and you are God. But we're not just these random humans, we're humans loved deeply by that God. Created for, for, for dignity and love and purpose and respect, made in your image and then redeemed in Jesus, and then commissioned to do the things you have called us to do, partnering with you to bring about spiritual, relational, and physical renewal in our world. And so as we consider how to be a part of that this morning, um, would you open our hearts to those ideas? As we look at one of them, Lord, would you empower Sarah? Um, would, you empower, would you empower Sarah to, to gently but directly give us what we need to follow you in a way that impacts others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, give it up for Sarah Lewis. Okay, Andy. Good morning, guys. I'm really excited to be here this morning. Um, we thought that a really cool way to sort of launch into the new series would be that um, in just a few minutes, we're going to do an exercise together where we're actually going to kind of end our gathering a little early. We're going to get up and go maybe two by two out onto the street, onto university. We're going to talk to people waiting in line for brunch, talk to people sitting having coffee, and we are going to share the gospel with everybody that we can. So we're going to do that for about 30 minutes, and then we'll kind of reconvene in here, um, kind of share stories of what happened. So I'm going to give a few instructions, maybe um, give you a few tools on how to do that, and then we're going we're gonna to go. You in for this? Yeah? No? No? <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got one person excited. That's awesome. Um, 
I'm going to let you off the hook right now. We're not doing that. That's not what's happening this morning. But I wanted you to sort of experience. Okay, so just take a, take a deep breath now. Just sigh of relief. I wanted you to experience the dread and maybe a little bit of fear. Um, if you're like me, you were already kind of thinking of an excuse. Like, I'm pretty sure my kids were up really late. They probably need to go to bed right now. In fact, I'll, I'll get you guys next week, you know. Um, no excuses needed. We're not going to do that. But the point is that if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of us, even if we've been in the church a long time, that maybe have this sort of um, bad experience with what it means to share the gospel. And we have this maybe dread, maybe this fear of awkwardness when it comes to going out and evangelizing. And maybe even that word kind of brings some baggage with us. Um, I was on a plane a few years ago, and there a woman sitting a couple rows ahead of me. She, she sat down, she introduced herself to the man sitting next to her, and they sort of just engaged in, you know, the pleasantries that you do on a plane. And they talked about their kids and their jobs and the weather. And then things sort of shifted when she turned to him and just said, hey, have you thought about what would happen if you died today? And he immediately sort of backed away and was like, you know, I've, I've heard all of that Jesus stuff. I'm not interested. And she politely, like, let it go. And then they shared, like, four feet of space for, like, the next three hours with each other. And, and I, it was pretty awkward for everyone around. But for me, no one knew I was a believer. Um, no one knew that I, as a stranger, had a vested interest in this conversation and where it would go. Um, but I felt, even though no one knew I was a believer, I felt embarrassed. Um, and not embarrassed, let me just be clear, not embarrassed because she said something. In fact, I was really proud of her for that. Um, and even maybe a little jealous that she could step out in that kind of bravery and obedience that she felt like God was calling her into. Um, but I was embarrassed that with all of her best intentions, she had managed to make the gospel sound and feel a little bit more like multi-level marketing than like good news. And if you have ever kind of encountered that situation, maybe you've overheard it, maybe you've been on the receiving end of maybe an ill-timed, you know, gospel presentation, or maybe you've even initiated one yourself, but if we all have enough of those kind of situations, we kind of feel burned out. And maybe we sort of cringe at the thought of sharing the gospel. And so I've been praying kind of over this week leading up to talking with you guys. I've just been praying that this morning as we talk, as we talk about what it means to be salt and light and what the call is on our life to share the gospel, that we'd sort of begin to feel a weight lifted off of our shoulders. That we could be motivated not by awkwardness or fear and anticipation of rejection, um, but that we would just learn what it looks like to step into the really exciting business of actually just being overtly Christian in the spaces that we belong. Um, so I'm going to pray into that, and then we'll dive in more. Pray with me. God, thank you. God, thank you so much that you genuinely are good news, that what you've done in our lives, that what you intend to do in this world is really the only true sense of hope that we have. And that all of us who follow you have been the recipient of someone telling us about that good news. And so I pray, God, that you would just kind of help us 
take all of those maybe baggage, that those feelings that we have when it comes to sharing the gospel, and would you help us put those on the table before you? God, would you give us just a, a more biblical idea of what it looks like to live in light of who we are in you? And God, I just pray that this would be a way to step out um, as new creatures in you into the places that we live, that we work, that we shop, um, and make a difference there in your name. Amen. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, Moses is talking to Israel, and you can put that up. Um, And he says this. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that's maybe for some of you a pretty familiar passage. Um, For thousands of years, that passage has been recited by Jewish people. They open, they begin their day, and they end their day by reciting that passage. They have it in little um, boxes on the doorways of their homes. They even have it in little boxes, some of them, on their foreheads. Like if you're walking in New York City, you'll see like a devout Jewish person with this box on their forehead. Inside that box are the words of this passage. This passage is known as the Shema. And the reason it's called the Shema is because it begins with the word hear, which in Hebrew is the word Shema. In Hebrew, Shema, hearing, has a different sense than our English word for hearing. In English, you can hear something and then do absolutely nothing with what you heard. That's the type of hearing my kids often have. Um, But in Hebrew, Shema is the act of listening to something so intently that hearing and doing become one and the same. So what Moses is saying is like, listen, and listen so intently that what I'm about to say changes everything about who you are and how you live and what you do. And then he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the character of God, who God is as our God, as the one God, should change everything about us. And namely, it should produce what? A love for God the kind of love that is all-encompassing, that we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And this passage isn't just confined to Old Testament Jewish tradition. Um, In Mark 12, Jesus was talking to a group of people. I'll turn there real quick. And he was asked by a scribe, Mark 12, 28 through 30, It says, one of the scribes approached, and when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So when Jesus is asked what is the most important, he says, he points back to the Shema. And, it, and basically he's saying this is the pinnacle of the Christian walk. What Moses called his, the Israelites to is the commandment to sum up all commandments. And so it's really important for us to hone in on what it means, why is it important. And really it's not just important because it tells us what to do, love the Lord our God with all our soul and mind and everything that we are, but Moses actually goes on in Deuteronomy to tell us how to do it. 
and the verses following, which is Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, he says this. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So what Moses is saying here is that we are supposed to talk about our love for God all the time. So we're supposed to know something about God, and we're supposed to listen so intently to what it is that it changes everything about how we love him, that we love him with everything that we are, and then that love is displayed as we walk around, as we sit with our kids, as we go to the grocery store. All of the things that we do are ways that we display that love for God. And so Moses is saying, when you get up in the morning, talk about God. When you're taking your kids to the park, talk about God. When you're commuting to work, talk about God. And that demonstrates our love for God. In 2009, I met this really handsome guy named Jacob Lewis. Yep. And um, you guys, I was so smitten immediately. And it was pretty obvious because any conversation I was in, didn't matter what we were talking about or who I was talking to, I somehow always managed to bring it back to Jacob. Like, oh, you like film? Jacob likes film too. Like, you're going to dinner? Jacob eats dinner too. It's just, (laughs) it's a cute thing he does, you know? And my roommates, I drove my roommates nuts. And I was not trying. This was not like a scheme I worked up. In fact, I was like really trying to play it cool, cool and not be obvious that I was like obsessed with Jacob, but I was in love and that love was just flowing into my language. And this is what Moses is talking about in the Shema, that we should be so in love with God, so almost preoccupied with him, that he's on the tip of our tongues, that everywhere we go and everyone we talk to hears about him because we almost can't help it. And missionaries um, in the field have come to call this kind of language Shema statements. So it's, it's from this passage, the Shema, the Shema. Um, But when we are speaking openly as lovers of God, we are using what people have come to call Shema statements. So let me tell you a little bit about what that means. A Shema statement is anything you say that makes it obvious that you love God. So this is not like a big, huge statement. It doesn't have to be the whole gospel, although it can be. Um, But it's not necessarily big. It can be as simple as letting somebody know that you are a spiritual person and you're open to talking about spiritual things. Um, It can be, you know, like the kind of thing, like as everybody right now are talking about the war, like you can wonder out loud, I wonder what God's up to in that. Kind of the thoughts that you have as maybe a follower of Jesus that you don't speak out loud in strategy around people. A Shema statement is something that you actually just go ahead and say. Um, It can be as simple as letting somebody know that you're praying for them, as simple as pointing somebody to something that God is doing in the world. Um, And I think this is kind of a side note. I don't want to get on too much of a rabbit trail, but missionaries will tell you that a Shema statement is best done in conversation number one. So I'm not a huge romantic comedy watcher, um, but if you are familiar with romantic comedies, from the few that I've seen, there's a theme that sort of runs across them, and that theme is that one 
person, at least, in the romantic duo is like actively hiding something about who they are. And the whole sort of romance unfolding is them trying to find the right moment to like let that out. Um, they have a kid they didn't tell them about or they have a job that they didn't tell them about or they were in a coma and weren't actually, they were strangers. I don't even know what that one. But <laughs> the, uh, the point is like we watch these movies and we sort of cringe and the whole time we're like, that is the worst idea ever. You just have to be like honest, just like tell them who you are, tell them what's true. Um, and you're never going to find the right moment because you're lying. Um, but then we sort of watch those and we turn around and in our Christian walk, we sort of strategize on, but if I hide this part of who I am, maybe until I've earned a voice or maybe until I know how they feel about Christians, maybe until I've changed their mind about Christians, then I can tell them that I'm a Christian and they'll be like blown away and they'll be like, geez, I didn't, I, I actually like you and I don't think I like Christians, so now just tell me about who Jesus is. And, but the problem is that most of us with that approach have experienced the reality that there's not a right moment and that we actually have been just concealing a huge part about who we are. And so a huge encouragement is a Shema statement, just being obvious about who you are, your love for God, it's so much easier in conversation number one. Because what's true is that if you don't do it conversation number one, you probably won't in conversation number two or three. It just gets harder and harder. Jacob and I, we had, at one point we had a tiny baby, Charlie. He's, we still have him. He's just not a baby anymore. Um, and Jacob had a job at this TV network and you had to sign in at the office to like go visit him. And so Charlie and I would go there for lunch sometimes and there was this amazing woman that worked the desk and when we would sign in she'd be so excited to see Charlie and she would just like play with him and she, it was like the highlight of her week when we would go visit her um, and we loved their little relationship and everything but there was just like one problem and it was that she thought Charlie's name was Jack <laughs> and I don't know how it happened I don't we didn't we don't recall the beginning of it it just it happened and then it was too, we were too far in, guys. It was just like she, once we walked away and we're like, did she just call him Jack? And we're, I don't know, just keep moving. And then, and then it got to the point where like Charlie was getting a little bit older and he realized she was calling him Jack. And we didn't correct her in front of him. We're just like, I, you're going to be known as Jack in this particular space. I don't know. It just got worse and worse. We gave her a Christmas card one year thinking like, oh, his name is Charlie, it's on there, this will fix everything, you know, it was just like the sly version of how we we're going to break it to her, that his name was Charlie, she still called him Jack after that, I, she still thinks his name is Jack, probably, we haven't seen her in years, but the point is, it's that, it's so awkward, the longer it goes, you're way too far in, there's not a right time, so, so to be overtly Christian, overtly who you are, is just better from the beginning. So that's kind of just a side note. But um, to kind of sum up, Shema statements are just the thing that leaves your mouth as the overflow of your heart. And they should be just genuine to who you are. And I think that this is where we've gotten kind of weird as Christians, um, because for some reason, somewhere along the way, we've decided that 
the gospel is a strategy, sharing the gospel is a strategy that we employ rather than an identity that we live out. And so what we do is we memorize a few facts, maybe a couple starter questions, and then we try really hard to insert them into places that they just don't make any sense. And with all of the best intentions, we're shoving square pegs through round holes on airplanes until we're just so burnt out with that interaction that we just sort of give up on it altogether. A couple years ago, Jacob and I were kind of at the beginning of the pandemic when it started showing up in headlines. We were in a conversation with a group of people and there was a woman who we had just met um, in, th- in that conversation. And she, we were, people were talking about kind of the fears and the anxiety around the pandemic and what is this gonna mean in all these different ways. And she just said, you guys, we just need to take some CBD, a few deep breaths, and we need to center ourselves. And you guys, I promise you that she did not enter that conversation thinking, how am I gonna bring up CBD? Like, how am I gonna let these people know that I think this way. But in that one statement that just flowed out of her worldview and her heart and her mind, her one statement told me a lot about who she is, what she, where she finds peace, where she looks for hope, you know, who, where she puts her trust. Like, and she, it wasn't awkward and it wasn't a strategy. It was just who she was. And so I think it's so important that as we think about what Shema's statements look like in our everyday life, that they have to be true to who we are. And so one good way to think of it is just to stop suppressing the spiritual thoughts that we have based on who we're with. If you would say it around your Christian friends, say it around anybody. And by and large, most people, even if they don't agree with you, like I didn't really agree with her answer of what we did with COVID, they're not going to be offended. It's not going to blow up in your face. It will actually just be okay (laughs) most of the time. And then sometimes you're going to find more often than not, that it actually just gives them a space to be spiritual themselves, to open up about things that they've been thinking. Um, I love to talk about what God is teaching me. So often my Shema statements come out in the form of like what I read that morning or something God is convicting me with. Jacob loves to talk about what God is doing in the world. Um, So when he a few years ago met a guy from Iran, the first thing that he said was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing that you're from Iran because God is doing incredible things among your people. And immediately this new Iranian friend of Jacob's was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean God's, what is God doing? Um, And Jacob just told him he's, man, he's giving your people dreams and visions and like he's answering prayers and there's this huge underground church growing in Iran. And he, that launched them into the kind of friendship where Every time they were together, they were talking about spiritual things, and eventually he became a Christian, but he just knew, like, when he started wanting to know what God was really up to and what the Bible meant, he went to Jacob. He knew where to find the Christian, (laughs) and um, they started studying the Bible together, and what was so cool is, like, they would read the Bible, and then he would text his family back in Iran like the things that he was learning. And so all of a sudden, Jacob's able to get gospel truth into a closed country through a text because he shared some random thing that was on the tip of his tongue as somebody who loves what God is doing in the world. And all of a sudden, there's this fruit coming from not a strategy, but just an openness to be who he was. And so in that sense, Shema statements are really fun 
they're really fun because we can just be who we are and stop worrying so much about whether or not we've nailed an approach. It kind of takes the pressure off of us. God knows we're going to go out there and be who we are, and he gets to decide who we encounter and what that looks like and what he's going to do in their hearts through what they hear. And it's no longer about if we've memorized the right stuff or if we're going to, like, put it into the right places. And not only is it fun because there are pressures off of us, but it's fun because we've seen it be so incredibly fruitful. And I think that there are two biblical realities that kind of point to why Shema statements work. So that's what I want to spend the rest of our time sort of looking at this morning. And the first biblical reality that explains why Shema statements are fruitful is because you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, are new creatures in Christ. So in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, he tells us to take off our old selves and put on our newly created selves. And in both of these passages, what Paul is highlighting is that the very quality of who we are, our nature, our very selves, are made different. New and unlike what was before. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about what that means so much of the, Bi the Bible kind of gives title and definition to what it means to be a new creature in Christ. But there are three that I kind of want to just overview this morning. And two of them are going to sound really familiar based on the series that we're entering. Because the first one is that we are salt. So Jesus on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount says that we are salt. And then he goes on to say a second one, that we are light. And then the third thing, I mean, there's a lot of definitions of what it means to be a new creature in Christ, but the third thing I want to point out this morning is actually from 2 Corinthians, that we are an aroma. It says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Each of those has incredible impl implications for what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Definitely study each of those in depth, but... This morning, I just want to point out that across all three of those things, one reality that we see is that as new creatures in Christ, our presence in this world is not neutral, it is potent. Just like salt changes the chemistry of things that it comes in contact with. Just like light contrasts and invades darkness, just like aroma sort of gets in every nostril that it's around you and I, by the very nature of who we are as new creatures in Christ, we are not neutral. We are potent. And that means that the very nature of who we are is actually intended to change atmospheres. That you and I should assume that when we step into a conversation, we will transform it just because we're new creatures in Christ talking to someone. The second biblical reality that makes us fruitful as we live out the Shema, is this reality that the harvest is plentiful. And I think it's often easy for us to, to hear that and then look around our context and feel like that, that must not be true. But it is a biblical reality. So it is our context and maybe our perception of our context that is the problem, <laughs> not the truth of the scripture. And so we need to identify why, why do we see things wrong 
But in Luke 10, too, Jesus is sending out 72 people to go into all these new places to tell them about who he is. And there's one thing that he finds incredibly important for them to know as they go out. And it is this, that the harvest is plentiful. And then again, he's talking to his disciples in John 35, and he says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look around at your workplaces and neighborhoods and shopping malls and subway stations and have the sort of eyes that see throngs of people ready to receive the good news. They're so ready. They're like a crop bursting at the seams. And so when Jesus gives his disciples a vision for what it means to go share who he is to the world, he finds it incredibly important that they understand they're headed into a place where they should expect fruit, where God is already at work, where hearts are being readied for the harvest, and that all their job is to do is to go encounter those people who he's at work in. So I want to do a little bit of a mental exercise with you this morning. So we're going to do some imagining. So if you need to, close your eyes or set down notes or whatever helps you concentrate. And I want you to just take a second to picture your typical day. Sort of run through your routine for a second in your mind as you are getting ready for work, you're heading into work as maybe you're picking up your kids from school, maybe you're running errands, heading out for dinner. And now I want you to imagine how different, kind of all of those different routines woven into your day, how different those would be if you felt the freedom to be openly the spiritual person that you are. And not only that, but if you recognized the potency of your presence as you stepped into each of those situations. And not only that, but if you left the house assuming that you were going to encounter people who were ready to engage in spiritual conversations. How much would that change the way that you show up at work or shop for groceries or even talk to the mailman? Okay, we can stop imagining but it changes everything. Because we can be so into thinking about our day in sort of these naturalistic ways and we can forget that there's a spiritual reality, even a spiritual reality of who we are as new creatures in Christ. And we can forget that God ordains all of those situations that we find ourselves in so that people will find him. And that when we step in as believers, as followers of Jesus, that's a call on our lives for them to find him through us. Just because we're there, because we're intended to change atmospheres, and just because we're openly speaking about our love for him on the tip of our tongue. So we wanted to kind of end our time together, well, this portion of our time together, just praying some of those realities for each other. But I think Andy's going to walk us through what that looks like, yeah? And we have the... Yeah, can we get the slide with the prompts? Um, give it up for Sarah Lewis. Uh, let's honor her. S super, super helpful. Um, so uh, a couple quick things. One, I uh, really appreciate your message, Sarah. Um, super helpful. And I think especially, guys, I want you to catch that, like, this idea of identity 
and this idea that like just talking just talking about what is true of you and i think it's simpler than we realize but it's hard if we're if we admit it it's hard right uh dude uh, on the way over here i have this uh bible and i was getting it out of my car and uh, there's a ton of people at Dark Horse. My car is by Dark Horse. And I literally was like, I like put it, I put, I put it in my arm like this, just so there wouldn't be like a, a scenario where it's like, oh, I just thought in my mind, oh, they're probably annoyed. Church people take up all the parking. And like, I, I just had this weird like, and, and I was like, dude, the whole sermon's on like just disclosing that you're a follower of Jesus. Not being weird, not being rude, not being unkind. It's like, Man, people coming here for brunch is cool, but church, that's, like, not cool at the party, you know? And I just have these weird instincts that I, I don't want, like, Jesus to look bad just for me being me. And the idea of just, like, be, man, being who you are. Because you, if you're in Jesus, you are someone new. We just went through the entire book of Romans. It goes, man, you are someone new. And I love this, not forcing stuff at all, but just being honest about where you're at. Uh, a friend of mine got a, um, a cancer diagnosis, and um, he went to the doctors, and he was just so talking to him about where he was at with God, uh, talking about prayer, talk, and he ended up like, getting healed, and it's, it's, it's gotten messier lately. Um, but he's been talking to his doctor about his faith the entire time in the most natural thing. Like, I am a Christian who is sick, and I believe God's in control of that kind of thing. And I'm just talking about it. And the doctor's, like, blown away uh, with the moments. And so what I just want to say is, like, I, I almost feel like there's this challenge um, in seeing ourselves as new creatures in Christ. It's not even a boldness. It's just honesty and integrity that we're not different people in different spaces. Does that make sense? We might do different things in different spaces. I'm not saying like walk into like walk to your cubicle like this. It's like there's this time and a place for different actions, uh, different behaviors of the Christian faith. But you don't have to pretend like, man, I, I'll tell you what I'm not. You know, I'll tell you where I wasn't yesterday at church. I might have been stealing cars, might have been doing drugs, wasn't at church, right? Like there's this like shame that I think we can feel sometimes. It's like, no, man, man, there's a beauty in being in Christ. People have represented Jesus poorly. That makes us cringe and not want to be identified with Jesus. But the answer to that's not for all the amazing followers of Jesus to pretend they're not followers of Jesus and these guys keep getting the airtime on the news it's just be yourself and keep growing in Jesus and so what we want to do is just pray these realities over one another uh, and so what we want to do is kind of break up into small little groups of three to four uh, if you're uncomfortable do the pandemic stuff that's totally fine or you're like here you're like I'm not a Christian I don't want to pray for this that's fine uh, or you're just uncomfortable in general that's fine but for those who want to I want to call the worship team up I want to have just a three to four minute quick moment of prayer to pray through these prayer prompts does that make sense um, and so we have three things we want to pray for. Uh, one, pray that uh, we would see ourselves as new creatures in Christ. People around you would see that. Two, pray that they would see the harvest as plentiful. That's another thing. It's more about perspective than strategy. Like, do you believe that people around you need Jesus and would even want him if anyone would, would, would talk about him in a normal, loving way? And then three, uh, pray, that, uh, pray that they could let their love for Jesus flow into their everyday language. Again, we, we, we do what we are. We talk about what we are, what we treasure. And so right now, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kill the lights, and um, we'll break up uh, into groups like we have in the past, just groups of three to four people around you. If you're not comfortable praying, no big deal, um, but we'll do that here for about four minutes or so, and then we'll go into a time of, of musical worship. Um, so, um, so yeah, feel free to kind of spread out around the room if you guys want to do that. All right. Um, Father, thank you for the fact that you've adopted us into your family. Thank you that you have, over and over again, just remind us that we have a new identity and that's good news, that we're not defined by our performance spiritually. We're not defined by our performance at work. We're not defined by our, um, yeah, how many sales we get or our profit margin or, um, our, you know, our, our review from our supervisor. Uh, we're, not, you know, we're not defined by what people think of us. Um, we're not defined if people think we're, we're nice or cool or helpful. 
um, but we really are defined by you. And I pray that that reality would actually set us free to love all the people we're worried about impressing. Instead of using them for approval or for significance, um, we'd actually be able to love them and give them what they, um, what, they, what they really need, what their hearts long for, whether they know it or not, an encounter with the living God through people who are united to that living God through Jesus. And so I thank you for that truth, and I pray that you would help us to walk into it in this next season as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us. These guys? Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, what I wanted to do was, in closing, uh, uh, Sarah, uh, obviously she just talked to us about this idea of representing Jesus and reflecting his love and just kind of walking in who he's made you to be. Um, but they've actually decided to, one of the things she, she talked about was that the, the harvest is plentiful. And if you read when G, in, in the passages where Jesus says that, another idea comes along with it. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so he's like, people have no idea that this harvest is bursting at the seams. Uh, and then, you know, no one engages the work. There are not enough people. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that will raise up workers. And so sometimes you meet people who decide that as a life, as a lifestyle, they want to be the embodiment of an answer to that, to praying for workers. And so, um, and so what I wanted to do is call up um, Jacob and Sarah to talk a little bit about how that's working for them. Get up for them one more time. And so, um, yeah, from what I understand, um, you guys feel called to kind of move from the work you've been doing to actually move into vocational missionary space. And again, you had an established career, Jacob. This would be a big turn for you. Um, and so I thought it'd be cool to kind of share what's happening and, and, and what you're getting into. So the first thing I want to ask was this is, uh, if you are going to be a, a gospel worker, missionary, whatever language you want to use, um, who are you trying to reach? Um, How would you describe it? Yeah, so... Our calling specifically is to kind of in the missionary world, uh, people group or peoples that they call unreached peoples. Uh, and so I really feel felt put up to do some sort of crypto analogy here. So um, this is kind of like the people who literally have never even heard the word crypto. Uh, <laughs> you have you have the crypto people. Those are the reach people. They, they have the Coinbase wallet. They're all in. You know, they all know all the names you have. This is this working? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you've got unevangelized people who, like, they've heard of crypto, they're not really in on it yet, but then you've got people who just literally have no clue what it is. And so we're actually not going to tell them about crypto, we're going to tell them about Jesus. They've literally never heard the name of Jesus. And it's, uh, and a lot of the reasons it's because they're in this place, like the 1040 window, if you have ever heard of missions, they just, there's no opportunity to, whether it's a, an oppressive government, that there's no freedom of religion, uh, or it's just that uh, in a lot of places, Islam or Hinduism, these religions are so strong, they have such long history that there's just no gospel presence at all. So there's no people to go to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So those are the people we feel called to. And um, within that 1040 window, we have a couple of cents in Northern Africa. So usually for the 1040 window, you, you kind of see it. And by the way, it's like the longitude latitude on the map. Um, 
you know, you kind of pick a country or area in there to go to. And so, yeah, we have friends in kind of Northern Africa. Um, so in terms of reaching unreached people group, where are you, what country are you moving to to reach unreached peoples? So, yeah, we have this sort of unique calling. I think, yeah, traditional missionaries, they go to one of these places. They, they learn a foreign language. Uh, a lot of times they're having to go in under sort of a lie, but like whether it's a business visa or they're looking for a platform because you can't go uh, strictly as a missionary. Uh, so that, but we're not doing that. <laughs> so what we feel called is kind of this unique thing. There's this, maybe you've heard of it, this global migration that's happening uh, where a lot of these people are actually moving to America. And so we're actually going to move to New York City to do this. Uh, we're still going to work. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So we, uh, we're going to go to New York City where a lot of these people are coming, whether it's uh, through business or as international students. Uh, yeah, some crazy stats on New York. I know you can't see them. We usually present this in a living room. Uh, but New York's uh, fascinating because if you were to actually take all of the unreached people, so those people who've never heard of Jesus even or had an opportunity to hear the gospel, if you were to kind of pluck them out of New York City and make a new city, it would be the second largest city in the U.S. There's four million unreached people in New York City. So it's, as far as like strategy goes, it's probably the most strategic place you could move to because there's so many unreached people who kind of gathered in one place. It's actually the biggest concentration of unreached peoples anywhere in the world. And it's not just Islam, it's Hinduism. It's all of these countries sort of in this melting pot of New York City. So that's where we're moving. I think, yeah, and just to clarify, what makes a group unreached versus just sort of our neighbors that don't know Jesus is like they as a culture and maybe even their language have no materials. There are less than 2% of them that are Christian. They don't have a church presence in their culture. They don't have gospel materials in their language. So even though they're moving here to the U.S., they often move and sort of cluster in places like New York, and they remain um, closed off from influence, outside influence, largely. And so there's still not materials in their language. There's still not people engaging that particular culture and group. And so we're hoping to break into those groups in New York. Yeah, and so they've assigned a term to it. That we, they call this diaspora, uh, people who are dispersed from their homelands. Uh, and so there, a lot of times, whether it's refugees or immigrants, we're seeing a huge refugee uh, thing happen with Ukraine right now, over a million uh, Ukrainians. And, and God does this thing uh, with immigration where he actually, he begins to open their hearts to, to new things. Uh, in fact, uh, this passage, if you go to the, I think it's the next one over, the Acts passage, there it is, yeah. Uh, so Acts 17, 24 through 27, he says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And so I think when we think of immigration, a lot of times we think it's, uh, you know, like this is Putin who's doing this, which is, is also a truth. But God, we know, is in control of all things. And so a lot of times we see this is a way that God is, and he's done this historically through, through uh, the Bible. He's using migration to actually make people maybe even spiritually receptive to uh, what he's doing. And so we are excited about being more the welcoming wagon. I don't think uh, the church in America has done the best job at welcoming foreigners into our land. And so we really feel called, hey, these are people who, for whatever reason, they're here. A lot of times it's in very desperate circumstances, and the first people to love on them should be the church, especially if God is doing this, and it's not just the powers that be, but God is doing something special, and we as the church can be these people to show them why are they, you know, potentially here, what is God doing in their lives. 
Um, and so kind of seeing the way God uses broken things to bring about his purposes and kind of moves people around throughout history. And I think one of the things that I think so often is immigration becomes like a political issue instead of just like a people issue. Uh, again, there's politics involved. We're trying to get involved in that. But this idea that like p- God cares about people uh, and so that we'd be a, a people that, that w- the people that are here, we, that we would welcome them and engage them. And with it being such an opportunity in New York, um, what's your plan for engaging kind of diaspora people, unreached people groups in New York? Are you just going to show up? Kind of see what happens. Like, there's just so many, you know, four million people. You just probably bump into them, or it's like more of a strategy. Or what are you thinking? Yeah. So it's just just my statements. We just yeah. run into them. No, there's there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, so we're gonna join a program called International Project, and it's it's very much like an intensive ten month training on how to do cross cultural ministry. Because there is a lot that goes into it. It's not just you know bumping into people. Um, so we're going to go through uh, some Bible training, uh, but we're actually going to be learning from missionaries who've done it on the field, uh, and then we're going to try to create a platform. That's usually the best way is how do we have something to help these people practically with their physical needs, but then how do we begin to build relationships where we can speak to their spiritual needs? Of course, being open about who we are the whole time, and a lot of times, especially with foreigners, it's, it's actually in many ways easier to talk about God because a lot of them have a worldview of a God, it's not always the same God that we serve, but this is a great opportunity to begin to talk to them. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, and part of part of our heart in in engaging diaspora people is that they would develop a passion for God that they actually, as indigenous people, can go back and bring into those closed countries. So a huge thing that we want to learn is what does that look like to not make white American churches in these unreached people groups? How do we help them authentically live out spirit-filled realities in their culture and through their language and with their own people so that they can go back and thrive? Um, and so we just have, we've planted white people churches, so we have some learning to do and what that looks like cross-culturally. I think one of my favorite examples in scripture of this is uh, a lot of historians, they date one of the oldest churches we know uh, is to the church in Ethiopia. It's kind of fascinating because if you look at the map of Africa, it's like kind of surrounded by these Muslim countries. And and a lot of people actually cite the Ethiopian eunuch as probably being the earliest church planter cross-culturally because he received the gospel, of course, you know, in Acts, and then he took it back to Ethiopia. So that's really a prayer here is that we can reach people here and they can, in their own heart language, become missionaries to their own people because, you know, strategically speaking, it's a lot more impactful rather than us going and sort of, I don't know, colonizing a new country with our way of doing things. It's better to see the Lord move in them and then for the gospel to plant that way. That's one strategy. Yeah, and so as you guys are cultivating, doing this work, going, uh, big move. You guys have two kids. We've been across the country from Denver to New York. want to see indigenous leaders raised up. I mean, New York City, I mean, there's just a lot happening. Um, you guys have an amazing backyard that you're not going to have. You're really downsizing with this move um, with New York. And, uh, and so anyways, how can we um, bless you and help you on uh, this next, yeah, next season? Yeah, so one of our favorite passages, especially as missionaries, is in Romans 14 where it says, blessed are the feet of those who go. So we're really praying for blessed feet as we go. Uh, but there's two people in that. There's the goers and there are the senders. And so we do need senders. Uh, and as we've kind of gone through this journey of being the goers, I think we always felt like oh, we're going to be such a burden on people because we have to ask them for, for money. And as, like you said, I'm, I'm a person who's owned a few businesses, sold a few businesses, and there's a little bit of pride there. But to put ourselves in a position where we're depending on other people felt like oh, people, I don't know if they're going to be into it. Um, but as we've done this, it's been neat to see like they're actually senders who need goers. 
Uh, and so it's been this beautiful picture of partnership. And so what we need is more partners to send us financially. Um, of course, it's more than that. We want people who are like family, who uh, are kind of like sending their kids off, you know, to, to start a new home. And so we're looking for more partners who can kind of support us when uh, all of a sudden our backyard, you know, woes are like really getting to us, who can, <laughs> well, not give us their backyards, but give us a backyard, so, so to speak, to come and rest and find respite, um, to encourage us when we're feeling down, because we aren't exactly New York people. I grew up in Colorado in the mountains. Like, I love being able to just go hike and do whatever when I want. So it's a big shift. Uh, it's going to be hard on our family. So just kind of the moral support and financial support. Cover it. Yeah, uh, throughout throughout Scripture, uh, we see gospel partnership in three ways. It's it's uh, prayer, people, and provision. So this idea that that Paul and they will consistently go, "Hey, would you pray for us while we're doing this new thing in this new space where the gospel is taking in a new culture?" Uh, then there is, um, uh, "Would you actually send people to help us?" And then there is, "Would you help us financially or send us some of the material goods we need to to be able to just function as humans, doing the work that we're called to do in the way that God designed the world?" And so, I want to help with all three of those. Um, so at some point, some of you guys might want to actually raise your hand and go, "Hey, I want to go." Uh, we also have Maria who's going to the 1040 window as well. Um, but for a lot of you guys, I think it is prayer and provision is one of the ways that we can stay where we are, but have our hands in gospel work in other places. And so um, do you want to pray for you guys um, uh, right now real quick? And then, um, yeah, this upcoming week, uh, next week, doing kind of a mini give love uh, as the offering. And so all, all the money that comes in on Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be going to, we'll split it between the Royal's kid, Royal Kids Camp, uh, again, the, the camp for foster care kids, and then, um, and then this work. So again, as we want to continually encourage ourselves to look out. Um, this is two of the ways that we want to do that this year to be a blessing uh, to our city and to the nations. So um, real quick, um, Jackie, would you come up and pray for them? Oh, last thing. Yes, real quick. If you want to kind of be partners in prayer with us, you want to know and update what's going on, there's that QR code that you can follow that will get you signed up for our newsletter. And we also brought prayer cards if that's something that you want. Um, we don't just want your money. We want your partnership. We want we want you to pray along with us. So we're going to be good about sending out updates and that sort of thing. So if you're excited about that, you're somebody who's like, I freaking love newsletters and I will pray for you, then sign up and follow us. Um, so let's pray for them real quick. Uh, Jack, if you pray, and then Adam, you want to come up to close us out. Uh, benediction, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Jesus, uh, I thank you so much that you plan all of our steps before we've taken them. Um, you know, you knew the uh, exact story that you had written for their lives, um, and you knew um, all of the details before they even knew a thing. And I pray um, that they would continue to walk um, by faith, trusting um, in the what you've called them to, trusting that you're good, uh, trusting that you're with them, Trusting that um, that you're going to provide all of the things that they need um, in this upcoming season, whether it's financial resources, um, it's emotional um, support, it's friends, um, it's friends for their kids, it's whatever it is, God, you are in control, um, you are with them, and you are good. I pray that that would be something they continue to hear, Holy Spirit, in their hearts um, for the two of them and for their children as well. I thank you for the people they're going to come in contact with and meet. I pray that you would um, uh, you would bring people um, into your family, God, uh, through this couple. In Jesus' name, amen.
Getting here, we're here to worship Jesus. We do want to honor, honors due. So let's go give up for these two. Uh, see you guys next. We got a big, uh, big Sunday next week with the Strowman farewell. Before we go, Adam Jones has a pastoral benediction for you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jacob and Sarah. Um, one thing, as we were praying, um, I was sitting with Bradley and, and Natalie and Eddie. Um, I it's just really beautiful uh, prayer that Natalie had about confessing about how she feels like scared or nervous about um, sharing. Um, sorry not to put you on the spot, Natalie, but I, I appreciate your honesty and transparency in that because I can relate to that and feeling like. Just the other day, I was slacking one of my coworkers, and I was like, oh, like, should I send this? This feels weird. Like, it's very, like, open about, like, that I'm following Jesus. Like, and I just had this hesitation. Um, anyways, as we were praying, I just felt this reminder that um, God's gone ahead of us already. He's made the way. He's promised us that people will be adopted. Um, like Sarah shared, the, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful. So that you can boldly step into these spaces um, and you can share because God's already done the work ahead of you. Um, we, we just plant it. He's going to water that seed. He's going to or he's going to grow that seed. We can plant it. Water, but he's the one that ultimately does that. So just a like reminder for you guys um, as you step into um, yeah your, your places of work or with your neighbors um, or uh, yeah, your family around you, too, that God's already gone ahead of you. So we can step boldly with um, a reminder that the Spirit is with us as we share. So I just want to pray that over us, and then, uh, yeah, grab your kids here. So, um, God, um, thank you for Jacob and Sarah. Thank you for their um, obedience to you to um, do a hard thing, to, um, yeah, move uh, into a new place, um, to um, make a space to um, invite other people into um, your family, God. Um, so I pray as we go out that we um, are reminded that you have already gone ahead of us. Your spirit's already gone ahead of us so that we can, um, with that reminder, um, step into these spaces with those around us that don't know you, um, and we can share, um, and like Sarah shared, encourage us, that we can be ourselves. Um, and that that really can be, um, we can be salt and light to these um, spaces that you placed us in, God. Yeah, so we love you. Um, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for adopting us. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, see you guys next week.